0: of Jeremiah and we're starting this new section now we've been going through a lot of the hard things you know the what's going to happen to Jerusalem in the time when the Babylonians are literally on the doorsteps the walls are going to be coming down the temple is going to be destroyed that beautiful temple uh, that King Solomon uh, built but starting in chapter 23 we're going to see the reason why We're going to see the promises of God come to fruition, not during the lifetime of Jeremiah, not during the lifetime of any of the people that are alive at this time, but for the future generations in 70 years in the future. In Jeremiah chapter 23, it says this, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Uh, therefore, thus says the Lord, God of Israel, against the shepherds who feed my feet, or my people, who have scattered my flock, driven them away, and not attended to them, behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. Uh, but I will gather the tenant of my flock out of all countries, where I have driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, uh, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper. And execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord our righteousness. Therefore behold the days are coming says the Lord. That they shall no longer say as the Lord lives. Who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country, from all the countries where I'd driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. And so, Father, uh, tonight, as we approach this amazing uh, section in the book of Jeremiah, that you would just prepare our hearts, um, whether we've read ahead or or maybe this is our first time here, uh, wh- whether we we've, you know, read this before, maybe through a a bible in a year program or whatever it is and had no idea what we were reading Uh, but tonight i ask that you would give us wisdom uh, to be able to understand your word that you would open up our eyes to be able to apply these things to our lives lord i thank you for these my friends my family those that are here those that are online that you would just uh, bless them tonight for their time when they could be doing anything else but they're here and so, Lord, I ask that you would use us for your glory. I think that you uh, prepare our hearts even before we come, whether our day was uh, long and stressful or, or, or just uh, the middle of the week, just having to be refreshed. And so, Lord, I ask that you would um, build us up, encourage us, refresh us from your word tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week we were going through chapter 22, and we were reading um, the various kings, and every single one of these kings were descendants from Josiah, the good king Josiah, the one that came on the throne at a, a very young age of eight, and, and then after being killed by a you know just a random arrow from an Egyptian archer, uh, his, his children are the next to come into line. His first two sons, one right after the other, become kings. One is only on the throne for about three months. And then he's killed off or replaced by his second brother. And then now, the last one that we're going to see here is actually his grandson, uh, who's going to be dispossessed, literally uh, taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And then his uncle, the youngest son of Josiah, is going to be placed on the throne as a puppet king, as just a figurehead, if you will. And this is the one now that we see uh, that is from the last chapter, the one that literally tells the priest, slap Jeremiah across the face. Because I don't like hearing uh, what he's saying. You see, remember last week, Jeremiah by his own fellow countrymen, not not just you know, the religious leaders, but even the people that he grew up with, they had made him an outcast. Uh, they had, you know said, "We don't want to hear the truth of the prophecies of God. We want to hear what tickles our ears, like the priests in Jerusalem. And so he goes to the priests in Jerusalem and and they literally slap him across the face, put him in prison. And later on, we're gonna find out that they put him in a pit where he literally sinks down and composes that beautiful book, the Book of Lamentations, for which Jeremiah gets his nickname, the Lamenting Prophet or the Weeping Prophet. You see, Jeremiah has this heart for the people, not, not for himself, not, not for his own circumstances. Oh, that that priest hit me across the face, oh, woe is me. No. He's weeping for the people that are about ready to be destroyed by the Babylonian army that is surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Where, where, as we learned last week, the very temple that King Solomon built will be destroyed. And In fact, in verse 24 of Jeremiah 22, we read the last of these kings that's going to be brought down. As I live, says the Lord, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet on my right hand, yet I would pluck you off. You you are the king of Jerusalem, and I just want to rip you off my hand. This was the degradation of the king at this time. He was acting worse than the surrounding heathens. And so God is saying, I'm going to rip you off my hand. In fact, in verse 25, and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life into the hand of those who face your fear, the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of the Chaldeans. So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born. And there you shall die, but to the land to which they desire to return, There they shall not return. This king is going to be taken away in the last captivity, going to be taken to Babylon and be put into prison and literally die in a foreign country. Not even allowed to be buried in his homeland. The honors that are due a king. Because he has turned the heart of the people of Israel. Verses 28 through 30, it it sums it up like this. Is this man, Coniah? a despised, broken idol, a vessel in which is no pleasure? Why are they cast out, he and his descendants, and cast into a land which they do not know? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. A man who shall not prosper in his day, for none of his descendants shall prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more In Judah. And by the way, his descendants will no longer be recorded. It'll be his uncle, his dad's brother, who will now take the throne, from which Sheltiel will become his son, and then so on and so forth to Zerubbabel, and then eventually to Jesus Christ himself. The descendant from the line of Judah who will again reign on the throne of Ju- Jerusalem. You, you see the understanding is what's going to happen to the legacy of this king. It's going to be erased. It's going to be annihilated. He will no longer be remembered. In fact in 2nd Kings chapter 24 verses 1 through 12 in the narrative of uh, the 2nd Kings and also in 2nd Chronicles as well, we reread we exactly what happened. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came against the city as the servants were besieging it. Then Jehoiachin, king of Judah, his mother, his servants, his princes, and his officers went out to the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon, in the eighth year of his reign, took him prisoner. And according to Jeremiah, he dies in prison. And we've been reading all these woes, all these horrific punishments that are going to take place. And starting now in chapter 23, we see the beginning of the promises. Those beautiful verses that we're going to see of how God is going to redeem this city that has just fallen. This city whose heart is hard and their necks are stiff. Who have turned their heart from God. And God has brought the Babylonians to bring punishment to them because of their sins and what they have done. And so now the warning is to the shepherds, as it said, is in chapter 23, verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture Uh, Says the Lord, all of us love Psalms 23, right? The Lord is my, or in the New Testament where Jesus Christ describes himself as the good shepherd, right? The one that the sheep know his voice. But during this time, the leaders, the the shepherds, the one who were supposed to be in charge of the city of Jerusalem, the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel as a whole, they have abandoned the sheep. They have fleeced the flock. They have, instead of caring for the sheep, they've made a profit off the sheep. They have abused the sheep, the ones that they're supposed to be caring for. And so because of this, uh, God is going to bring judgment to the leadership of Jerusalem. In fact, in verse two, therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people who have scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their folds and they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. You've abandoned them, I'm going to bring them back. You've abused them, I'm gonna feed them and care for them. You have done everything you can to profit off of them. I'm going to bring them back to the land whole. Now, I'm going to bring them back to the land in such a way that it will be the greatest miracle up until this time. In fact, the very next section, we're going to find out that this miracle that is going to take place is greater even than the miracle of bringing the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt some 600 years before. And this is what, you know, the nation of Israel is known for up until this time. We we are the ones who who God miraculously brought out of Egypt, right? That story that's told more in the Old Testament than any other narrative in the whole Old Testament. The, The rescue of the people of Israel from the land of Egypt, But what does it say in verse 5? And I love this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. And I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. Yahweh Sekidnu, or the Lord, our righteousness. You see, this is a title that is given only twice in the Bible. And both times it's found in Jeremiah. Chapter 23 and chapter 33. We see this title repeated twice. And the reason why it's here in the book of Jeremiah, it's to remind the people, I am going to make you righteous. And there's only one king that can do that. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. He's the Lord, our uh, righteousness. In fact, in Jeremiah uh, chapter 33, we see the same title, Uh, A little bit differently, but the same title here. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh, Sekednum. You see, not only will the king be named that, but the city in which he dwells will be named that as well. Isn't that amazing Uh, to have Jerusalem, the city of peace, uh, the one that was chosen not only by David to be the seat of the center of Israel itself from which the throne would reign, but also in the future when Jerusalem is rebuilt, a new Jerusalem where Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and all the people will come to Jerusalem. The glory of God here on earth. The Lord, our what? Righteousness. Again, only repeated twice in the Bible, both times in the book of uh, Jeremiah. Verse 7: the promises continue. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. You see, that was, that was a miracle, by the way. I mean, that was an amazing miracle. The people of Israel, they had been in the land of Egypt since the time of Joseph. They, they had been slaves. They had first, when they had first, you know, started there, they had their own land. They had their own property. They had, they had their own place for their sheep, the land of Goshen, remember? But unfortunately, what happened? A Pharaoh came on the throne who did not remember Joseph. And so they were put into bondage. They were put into slavery. They had to make bricks, even all to the point of bricks with no straw, right? And what even happened to the little babies, the children? Because Israel was being blessed with lots and lots of babies. They started killing the babies, right? Until Moses comes on the scene and, and brings the people at the age of 80 out of the land of Egypt. And, and this, you know, story, this, this narrative is told more times throughout the Old Testament than any other story in the whole Bible, by the way. But now, what is the promise going to be? That there's going to be an even greater Miracle. What does it say in verse 8? But as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all the countries where I driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. No longer are you going to be bragging about us being delivered from Egypt, but us being delivered from an even greater world power, Babylon itself. Isn't that amazing? And Jeremiah having to make these promises, the hard promises in the past, but now these promises of hope in the future. In 70 years, you're going to come back to the land and you're going to be able to rebuild the walls and the temple itself. But of course, just like we read last week, there's this crushing literally to the very bones of Jeremiah because the message isn't received. The, the people that he loves, that he, that he wants their hearts to repent and to change, they don't want to hear the word of God. Verses 9 and 10 My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones are shaken, and I am like a drunken man, like a man whose, whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of a curse, the land mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil and their might is not right. And you can just go back to the previous two weeks when we were reading chapters 19 and 20. And those devastating prophecies that Jeremiah has to give to the people. There's going to be famine. There's going to be drought. Because your hearts are hard and your neck is stiff. You do not want to repent. So God himself is going to be against the city of Jerusalem. Yes, he's going to bring Babylon, but it's going to be God himself that's against the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to bring them to literally their knees. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. What is that to say about the religious leaders of the day? These are the the people that are supposed to be the ones that the normal people, the common people are supposed to look up to for their spiritual maturity, their their spiritual well-being. The, The priests and the prophets. But who are the ones that are leading the way in wickedness? Profaneness, as it says here or backsliding as we've read multiple times throughout the book of Jeremiah or hard-heartedness or stiff-necked. These are the priests and the prophets, the one that're supposed to be leading the life of righteousness, but instead as it says in verse 12, therefore their way shall be to them like slippery ways. In the darkness they shall be driven on and fall in them. For I will bring disaster on them the year of their punishment, says the Lord. And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal and caused my people Israel to err. This was the northern kingdom of Israel, the capital of Samaria. The ones that are going to come back as Samaritans. But even worse, the comparison now in verse 14 Also, I have seen a horrible thing in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. Get this. All of them are like Sodom to me and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Oh, what a horrible comparison. To be compared to the worst two cities on the face of the earth in history. The the cities that were always compared to for literally evil incarnates. The, The ones that God rained fire from heaven on, by the way. The ones that were always used as a warning. How are the priests and the prophets of Jerusalem acting like? Like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a horrible comparison. And of course, the people of Israel, they they were never supposed to act like this. In fact, in other scriptures, and we we see this also in the book of uh, Ezekiel as well, but also in the book of Lamentations, in fact, if you look at Lamentations chapter 4, verse 6, it describes it like this. The punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom. They've out sinned Sodom. Wow! Wow! which was overthrown in a moment with no hand to help her. And by the way, you remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. The only one that made it out, or only three that made it out of life, alive was Lot and his two daughters. After his wife had turned around, turned into a pillar of salt, as literally fire is raining down upon those two cities. You see, the understanding is, this was meant as a you know sign of you know ultimate condemnation of sin on this earth. And now the religious leaders of Jerusalem are acting worse than them, sinning greater than them, greater than Sodom and Gomorrah. You can also read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 16, and you can see even. More detail by the way. There is a beautiful picture. Uh you can just write it down and, and read it for yourself later. Verse fifteen of chapter twenty three it continues on, Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold I will feed them with wormwood. Make them drink the water of Gaul, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you. They make you worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. And to everyone who walks according to the dictates of his own heart, they say, No evil shall come upon you. This is the ultimate feel-good message. This is the way to make the church full. This is the way to pack the pews, right? Just give them what they want to hear. Unfortunately, Jeremiah was telling them, you're a bunch of sinners you need to repent or God's going to destroy the city. And they didn't want to hear that message. Of course not. No one wants to hear that they're sinners, but do we need to hear that we're sinners? Do we need to hear that we need to repent? Oh, yeah. And this is, you know, the not only what Jeremiah is, is having to deal with the people that are supposed to be acting godly, that are supposed to be telling the truth, they're just tickling people's ears by the way, this is one of the signs of the last days too. We'll find that out in a little bit. But all these prophecies are not coming from the mouth of God. Instead, verse 18, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, who has perceived and heard his word, who has marked his word and heard it, behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind It shall fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart in the latter days you will understand it, what? Perfectly. You see, this, this is the understanding that as a sign of the last days to come, too, by the way. And the medium is, of course, is even greater nowadays. We have our streaming platforms, we have our TV, we have the various things that, you know, we're bombard- not Not just from the secular media, but even from you know, people that are predicting things. And unfortunately, we see it a lot. It's, it's the, the false prophets of our modern age. It's the ones that are trying to tickle your ears, to, to fatten their own, you know, wallet or back pocket or bank account, Right? Jeremiah understands this. The Lord is saying it very clearly, truthfully. And Jeremiah, being a prophet of God, must give the 100% truth of the word of the Lord. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesy. Verse 22. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my words, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doing. If they had just studied the word of God rather than all the commentaries, all the other things that we like to do, all the books, the, the religious books that, that have that title, but unfortunately, <clears throat> many times, it's just a bunch of, you know, human understanding rather than seeking the Lord, rather than actually standing, as we see here, the counsel of God. Did did you know that you can hear just from the word of God, just by bringing the word of God into, whether it's your closet or a study or, or a place where you can get alone with the Lord, that you can hear the word of God? Isn't that an amazing thing? And you can ask God for wisdom too. And he's guaranteed to give it to you. Isn't that amazing? And you can read ahead. You can come and encourage someone yourself. But a lot of the times, what do we do with most of our time? We squander it, of course, you know. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. We don't read ahead in the book of Romans for Sunday or, or Monday nights for the men and the women or for Wednesday morning for the men and the women or for Wednesday nights or whatever. We we just let the pastors study instead, right? But did you know that you can sit in the council of God and hear his words? It's a privilege, by the way. In fact, the promise of verse 23 is absolutely amazing. Am my God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? I'm right there with you. Just sit before me, listen to my words. They're better than everybody else's words. They're better than anything you could ever listen to. In fact, in verse 24, can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do I not fulfill heaven and earth, says the Lord. The immensity of who God is, the, the omnipresence of God, if you will, the omniscience of God in all of his vastness, his knowledge. And he wants to give it to us. It's a privilege. And then in verse 25, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Now there's gonna be a comparison here and we're we're gonna see this play out, okay? So you have to understand the context here. Where do the prophets, the prophets that are false say that they're getting uh, their message from? their dreams, or or what they've dreamed up, okay? Listen to how it is described here. Who try to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which everyone tells his neighbor as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. I had this dream and I want to give it to you. I, I have this, you know, message. That I, that I want to share with you. And it spreads like wildfire, by the way. And it's a it's a message that sounds good. It's, it's a message of peace, but it's not from God. In fact, in verses 28 and 29, I, I mean, this is an amazing set of scriptures. And hopefully as you've been reading through the book of Jeremiah, you found many, many uh, verses that just stand out to you that you've probably never even read before because many times we don't study the book of Jeremiah but this is this this here is a center point verse the prophet who has a dream let him tell a dream these false prophets don't don't shut them up you know they're they're just gonna talk and it's just gonna go into the wind but he who has my word let him speak my word what? Faithfully—that means accurately, by the way. A hundred percent true. When I tell you something, you need to say it correctly. You can't embellish it. You can't, you know, add your own thoughts to it. The idea is that when the word of God comes, it is one hundred percent accurate. That this is, by the way, the word of God. We know it's inerrant or 100% accurate. Even though it is uh, approximately 2,000 years old, it's still as accurate today as when it was written. The preservation of the word of God, penned, yes, by human hands, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? What is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? And this is the comparison now. What's the chaff? The dreams of the false prophets. What's the wheat? The word of God. Which, by the way, is nourishing and which just flies away. The chaff just blows away in the wind. What happens to that wheat? It becomes nourishment to the soul. But even more so, verse 29. This gives me goosebumps every time I read it. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? By the way, what are their hearts like? Rock hard and what breaks through that hard heart the word of god and of course you guys know how the the new testament describes the word of god the 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 new testament you know gives it a little bit more glamour i guess you will you know describes the word of god as a two-edged sword right in fact in hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 it says for the word of god is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah is saying, you need your heart smashed, broke open, the calluses removed. And sometimes do we need a hammer over the head? Oh yeah, yeah, to, to break our hard heart. And the word of God is powerful. It's living and it's able uh, to do that. By the way, Jeremiah, through the word of God is saying, run from the false prophets. And the same is true, by the way, for today. Just even within the last decade, you know, just, just the, the immensity of, of people claiming to be prophets of God. It's horrible. Whether, whether it's, you know, e- even if it's, you know, just predictions that don't come true. That, by the way, disqualifies them as a prophet of God 100%. Because the prophet of God had to be accurate all the time. But also, even if they don't make, uh, you know, future predictions, uh, the whole idea that if it, you know, it's too good to be true, or or if it just tickles the ears, or if it just brings people in to make those, you know, donations, what we call the, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. You see, the word of God is living and powerful, the, the privilege that we have is to understand the word of God is truth and it changes people's lives for the good. And it drives them from sin to, as we read earlier, the Lord, our righteousness. In verse 30, we pick it up again. It says, therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, says the Lord. What an amazing statement. That God is against these false prophets who steal my words, every one from his neighbor. By the way, they're a bunch of, you know, um, <clears throat> plagiarists. That's what it says here. They, they just repeat what they hear from somebody else. They, they just download the sermon and, you know, you know, just hope no one else listened to it. It's one of those things that rather than studying the Word of God, they stutter and study another person, another pastor and become copies of someone that's popular, maybe a, a bigger church or whatever it is, or a you know someone higher up in their denomination. But the originality of the Word of God is you can preach the same person, or the, you know, multiple pastors or multiple people can pray, preach the same passage of Scripture, and the Holy Spirit reveals something new and fresh to each and every single one of them. This is the variety of the Word of God. We don't have to be copycats, we can have the privilege of reading the Word of God for ourselves. But even worse than that, behold, I'm against the prophets, says the Lord, who use their tongues and say, behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tell them and cause my people to err by their lies and by their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says uh, the Lord they've led the flock astray they've led the sheep down the wrong path they've lied to the people of god they've made them sin have you, have you ever seen the the sheep along whether it's i5 or 99 or up in tacobee you know Why does that shepherd take them to a different pasture, you know, every so often? They don't stay in a single place all the time. Yeah, so that the sheep don't eat the, you know, literally the dirt, which is what they would do if they weren't led to a greener pasture. This is why in, you know, Psalms 23, the the good shepherd, what does he do? He, He leads them to... Green pastures, living water, stuff that satisfies and feeds the flock. Who has to lead them? Do the sheep find it on their own? No. They have to have a shepherd. They they have to be led. They have to be taken to the next green pasture and the next uh, living uh, water. Otherwise, they will just stay there and starve to death. Because as you all know, you know, sheep are stupid, right? And instead of leading the sheep to truth and righteousness, a a, a spiritual future, repentance itself, uh, what have the, you know, the false prophets, the bad shepherds done? They've led this flock astray. Or in verse 33, so when these people or the prophets of the priests ask you saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall say to them, what oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man in his house. Thus every one of you shall say to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered and what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord, you shall mention no more. For every man's word will be his oracle. For you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? What has the Lord spoken? Jeremiah has to confront those prophets for leading the people astray. For saying, "I, I have a word from God for you. And of course, it's just meant to tickle the ears, just a wind that blows away. But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have sent to you saying, do not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I will forget you and forsake you. And the city that I gave you and your fathers and will cast you out of my presence. What's the worst punishment that God can bring upon a nation? The lack of the word of God. Silence. Where where there will be no more word of God. In fact, this is what we call the, the time period from Malachi to Matthew. There's a 400-year there's a gap in the Bible, right? From the last word of Malachi to the first word of Matthew, there's this 400-year, by the way, predicted in Malachi that would take place, that God would be silent, where they would be so desirous for the word of God. And for 70 years now, there's going to be no temple. There's going to be no place for them to worship God. There's going to be no altar for them to make sacrifices. There's going to be no reminder of the feasts and the festivals, the Passover and the fall feast, the first fruits and all those festivals that they had abandoned because they, you know, forgot. And now for 70 years, they're not going to have it. And this is the, you know, the, not only the, the love of God, but the discipline of God as well. I'm going to take it away so you desire it. I'm going to take it away so you'll want it again. And by the way, this is the first thing they build when they come back to the land of Israel, the temple itself. Why? Because they want to worship God. They want to worship God in their own land. Verse 40, this chapter ends like this, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. And they're going to come back hungrier than when they left. They're going to desire the word of God. They're going to desire to worship again. They're going to want to be in the temple. And not only will they be able to sacrifice again, but they'll be able to worship God in his house again. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22, we're warned of this. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, That is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. And we might say, duh, of course. But most of the time we need to be given the obvious. We need to be told the obvious. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. And as I said earlier, false prophets are a sign of the last days. In fact, Jesus... Uh, says this as well in the New Testament, that, that this one is going to be one of those signs. As, you know, the days get shorter, as the days get closer to the coming of the Lord God himself, what will people want to hear? Sermons and prophecies and things that just tickle their ears, that lull them into... Uh, comfort or contentment or sin. Chapter 24, we see uh, another illustration. And by the way, this is the last of the illustrations that Jeremiah is going to give. The last of the, uh, what are called the the um, image prophecies or the picture prophecies, if you will. The, those picture prophecies that um, you know are kind of we can visualize for ourselves and you remember you know i remember the first one i loved the first one it was you know the the prophet with dirty underwear you remember that one yeah it, it was the loincloth that he had to bury in the sand right yeah you know that's the one you you know it's one of those things that sticks in your mind right Oh, you can read about that in, in Jeremiah chapter 13, or just uh, look it up in the previous uh, sermons on Wednesday night. And then there was the the wine jugs. Remember those, the, the old wine jugs and the new wine jugs. And then there was Jeremiah himself having to be given, uh, be kept celibate or not to marry. As an example to the people of the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and then just a couple of weeks ago, we learned about the potter. Remember the, that lump of clay that, you know, the, the potter had on his wheel and, and he made it into something he didn't like how it turned out. And so he remade it again, right? And how the potter can do anything with the clay and how the same is true for God with us. And then that same lump of clay after it's fired, then turns hard and brittle and Jeremiah smashes it against the wall. No longer pliable, no longer to be uh, molded by God, but instead hard and brittle, like the people of Jerusalem, their hearts hard-hearted. And then the last of these images or, or uh, pictures, if you will, is this basket of figs. L- listen to the story in in verse twenty four or chapter twenty four there. The Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, and the craftsmen and the smiths from Jerusalem, and had brought them to Babylon. This, by the way, was what was called the second exile. This is when Ezekiel was taken away. And put by the river Kibar. And when we get to the book of Ezekiel, which is the next book or next book after the two books that Jeremiah wrote after the book of Lamentations there, we'll, we'll read more about that. But this basket of fruit, the, these two uh, you know, baskets, both filled with the same fruit, by the way, just in different stages. Just like the clay in different stages. Just like the wine in different stages. The, the same fruit, just one can be eaten and one you'll gag and throw up. One is healthy for you and one will make you sick. One basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket had very bad figs which could not be eaten. They were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? And I'm going to show you or Jeff and John in the back, but I'll show you a couple of pictures here. And I said, figs, the good figs, the very good and the bad, the very bad, which cannot be eaten there so bad. In fact, you know, if you've ever seen a, a ripe, beautiful fig, it is amazingly beautiful. Even if you don't like figs, they are beautiful to behold. You slice them open, they have that, that beautiful color to them inside. It's the pink, pinkish-purplish. They are very, very beneficial, and they're very, very healthy. We used to have a fig tree in our backyard in Alta when I was younger, and literally, I mean, every single leaf would have a fig on it. It it would literally overproduce. And if you didn't pick them in time, they would turn into the next picture. And again, same fruit, but what happens when they rot? What happens when they're overripe? They get squished into the ground. They, They become literally inedible they will make you sick why because they are overripe they they're rotten they they're, they're you know so horrible that you spit them out of your mouth same fruit different stages one is beneficial and healthy and the other will make you sick and put you in the hospital now now the amazing thing about figs is also that they can be preserved as well. Picture, you know, fig newtons, right? You know. Or, or dried figs, right? The same fig in another state, preserved, no longer fresh that can fall to the ground and rot, smell, stink is now dried and preserved, right? So that you can eat it later, right? You can enjoy it for a a longer period of time, and this is what, of course, the people in the time of Jeremiah would do with figs. Of course, they would, you know, eat them fresh, but then they'd also preserve them as well. They would dry them out so that they could take them, you know, on journeys or, or you know, keep them for long periods of time. But if you miss the preservation time, what would happen to that beautiful ripe fig? Even within days, by the way. Yeah, it's no longer edible. You cannot bring it back. You cannot preserve it any longer. You cannot save it. It's just something that rots and makes you sick. This is the illustration, by the way, in verse four. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. I'm going to preserve you in a foreign land. I'm going to preserve you for 70 years in another country. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to preserve you for a certain length of time. I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. And we've been seeing this over and over and over again in the book of Jeremiah. God is bringing the nation of Babylon as a preservative for the remnant of the people of Judah, as, as a remnant for the people of Jerusalem. Those that are taken away captive they're going to be preserved in a foreign land. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are going to be put into key positions within the Babylonian government itself. Ezekiel in the land of Babylon as well, prophesying to the people there that are the remnant from Jerusalem itself. Verse six, for I will set my eyes on them for good and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. They're going to be preserved. Then I will give them a heart to know me and that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. And then in verse eight, and we'll end it here what's the opposite what what's that other stage of the fig and as the bad figs which cannot be eaten they're so bad surely thus says the lord so i will give up zedekiah he's the king that's on the throne at this uh, this stage The king of Judah, his princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in this land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt, I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach and a byword, a taunt and a curse in all places where i shall drive them this basket of good figs god is going to preserve and this basket of bad figs is just going to be residue on the footprints of the other nations rotting horrific smell you can see it by the way you you can even feel it, it makes you squirm same fruit different stages in verse 10, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I give to them and their fathers. You see, God is going to protect the people of Judah by taking them into captivity. I mean, that we, we don't understand that fully or how God can do that. But do you understand he's disciplining the people to preserve them? He's taking them to a foreign country to protect them. He's putting them into another nation in order to preserve them. So that they come back after 70 years in the hand of God. Seeing again the prophecies of God fulfilled. And what will now be the anthem of the nation of Israel? No longer that God brought them out of Egypt, but an even greater miracle is going to take place, that God's going to bring them back from the land of what? Babylon itself, the greatest nation on the planet. By the way, all these prophecies are going to take place. In fact, there's already been two exiles. We saw the first one at the beginning of Jeremiah. We see the first one in the beginning of Daniel too. Those handsome people, those those you know, people that are smart, uh, you know, all the all the the people that are going to be used in the upper echelons of the Babylonian society. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they get taken away first, and then Ezekiel. We see this at the beginning of chapter twenty-four. They're going to be taken away second, and then all those that are left in the city that that surrender, they'll be taken away third. And Jeremiah, by the way, is going to be in that that group. And everyone left in the land, the bad figs, they're going to be left to, as we're going to see, rot. And as we saw earlier, even starve. The drought's going to take them. It's going to be so horrible that they're going to even, as we read just last week, their own children behind the city walls because there is nothing left to eat so the the understanding is as we we end tonight and we'll we'll pick up chapter twenty five uh next week the the privilege that we have is do you have a relationship with God where you can come to him and talk to him and the invitation is open the invitation is for for us where we can you know if you didn't start on January first or you know even February first that that you can start now and that you can take your Bible, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, a, a, you know, the study that the women do or the study that the men do or the Wednesday night or the Sundays, whatever it is, that, that you can study the word of God and he will speak to you, that you can receive his counsel, that you can have that intimacy uh, with him daily. It's a privilege that all of us have. It's the privilege of understanding that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And so are you something that's moldable or are you something that's hard-hearted? Are you, are you something that, it, that is good to eat or, or something that's rotten? Do you need a hammer to the heart? That, that surgical instrument of the word of God to the soul of us. I think all of us do, yeah, but it's the privilege that we have to have that relationship with God. So let me bless you as we leave tonight. I, I pray that you would um, not only be challenged, uh, but that you would you know discern what is good compared to uh, what would leave us astray. And so Father, I thank you so much for the privilege That we have tonight to come before you and i thank you so much for uh, these my family my friends i ask you bless them not only for you know just giving up a a couple of hours of their time but also uh, that you would bless them this week to not only um, be your witnesses but to understand that you have a, a perfect place for each and every single one of us in the body of christ that you desire for us to use our gifts that you desire for us to grow that you desire for us to um, edify one another and so lord we we thank you for your word that is always true and accurate and we ask that you would help us to discern what it what is good and what is bad those things that lead us astray and those things that lead us closer to you and so lord tonight i ask that you would reveal to us maybe maybe it's someone that we listen to that that you know we we don't always you know understand what they're saying or or we don't always you know maybe even agree with what they're saying but that they just make us either laugh or entertain us or or um, something in there, you know their talks just just you know ignites us or whatever it may be. Uh, Lord, help us to discern what is right and what is wrong. Hel- help us to see the false prophets and the bad shepherds and those that uh, just are trying to make a profit off the flock that are trying to, you know, fleece the sheep. And Lord, help us instead to desire your true word, you in our lives. We, we thank you that the difference is that you want to feed us, that you want to heal us, that you want to protect us, that you want to care for us. And Lord, we thank you for that. And so Lord, as we leave these this building tonight as we go through these doors tonight i ask that you would help us to be changed that we would not be the same as we entered in that our hearts would desire to grow closer to you right. thank you so much for your son jesus christ who is the good shepherd the one that leads us to those um, still waters and and the green pastures those those places that feed our soul You desire the best for us, the one who laid his life down for the sheep. And so, Lord, we praise you for that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you.